You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, Planted. We are walking our people through how to cultivate a life of meditation that leads to encouragement and hope. Our Father in heaven, because we have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. And we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And Father, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. But not only this, because of Christ, we can also boast in our afflictions. Because our afflictions will strengthen our hope, and cause us to persevere in hope. And hope, because of Christ, will not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through your Spirit, whom you have given to us. So, Father, it is our prayer this morning that you would come down by the power of your spirit and that you would strengthen our hope in God, that you would help us to hope in God, that you would help us to fight against the devil, against his lies, against doubt, against unbelief with a radiant hope supernatural hope in God through Christ. We beg you, please do it now in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue this morning our sermon series on being planted in God's Word. Each one of your pastors who have has preached in this series, has preached texts that have a special significance in their lives as they've walked with Jesus Christ. In the first sermon, Pastor Nathan preached from Psalm 1. He taught us to be planted in God's Word so that we will experience holistic flourishing as the people of God. Pastor Nathan also invited us from Psalm 1 to commit ourselves afresh in this new year to study God's Word, to read God's Word, to memorize God's Word, to pray God's Word, and to obey God's Word in community with one another as the people of God at Midtown, as well as in this world for all to see. In the second sermon, Pastor Timothy preached from Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And he taught us that God is faithful. He is faithful. To enable His people to flourish 
even in times of exile, even in times of suffering. And he invited us to trust God right now in this moment where we live, where we work, where we worship, and where we play. This morning, my sermon comes from Psalm 42. And I'll tell you right now, by the way, this is a long introduction, all right? Just sit back and enjoy the ride. Short sermon, long introduction. I love the Psalms. And I particularly love Psalm 42. Because the Psalms, they fight. They fight for hope in God. They fight for hope in the midst of pain, in the midst of exile, in the midst of sorrow. And they cry out to God in pain and lament as they fight for hope in God. And I love Psalm 42 because it tells us this morning to hope in God as we live in this broken world, as we suffer in this broken world. And the reason we hope is because God is the God of our salvation. Before we look at the text this morning, I want us to consider for a moment a question. Does this text, Psalm 42, which talks about hope in God, does it overpromise and underdeliver? That is, the psalm compels us to hope in God in pain, in sorrow, in suffering. But can hope in God be realized in the midst of pain, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of insurrection. Brothers and sisters, this is an important question. Because if this psalm overpromises but underdelivers, we are hopeless today. And if hope in God in the midst of sorrow is not something that we as God, God's people can experience, then brothers and sisters, quite frankly, I'm out of here. I'm not wasting my time fighting for hope in God if hope cannot coexist in pain. Are y'all with me this morning? But brothers and sisters, hope in God in pain is real. It's certain. Because God is our Savior through Jesus Christ. I became a Christian in 1996 when I was 17 years old. And to this day, I still remember the joy that I felt when the weight of my sin was lifted off of me because of Jesus' wrath-bearing death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. But eventually, as I continued to walk with the Lord, I quickly realized that the Christian life is not a life of constant joy without pain. 
To the contrary, it is joy in pain. And sometimes, brothers and sisters, the ones who cause us the most pain are those who are in the church. And as all Christians who walk with Jesus for any given time, after a while, suffering came into my life. And during that time, my little small country church in Eastern Kentucky, my home pastor gave me a sermon series on hope, preached by one of my favorite preachers. And his first sermon in that series was Psalm 42, verse 5, hope in God. And for the last 24 years, in moments of deep pain, and deep sorrow, this psalm reaches down into my soul and it preaches to my bones and it calls me again and again to hope in God. When I'm dead, I told my wife, when I am dead, put this psalm on my casket and on my tombstone. And Pastor Jamal, when I, if I die before you, preach this psalm at my funeral. Because it's about hope that breaks in the moment of suffering, breaks through the moment of death, and lifts you up in resurrection life. Let me say a word about hope. I told you it was a long introduction. We're getting to the text. If Pastor Timothy can do it, I can do it. He took a little while last week. I'm going to take a little while too before I get to the text. And we might be tempted to think that because the world is so chaotic, so dark, so broken, that we can't have hope. And maybe we're think, tempted to think this morning that there's no hope because our country is in chaos. Our leaders on both sides of the aisle and in the middle are failing us. And there are Christian leaders who have compromised the gospel and their integrity for political power. And maybe we think there is no hope. But brothers and sisters, listen carefully. Hope is not maybe things will work out or maybe they will not. Biblical hope is absolutely certain. It is a confident expectation that God will do for his people through Christ what he has promised to do. It's a confident expectation that reaches down into your brokenness right now, into your suffering right now, into your sin right now. And to your sorrow right now. And it gives you absolute supernatural confidence that God will do what he promised to do because he's done it in Jesus. Amen? Amen? Now, I could give you all sorts of stories about how the Lord has proven this psalm to be true and this truth to be true in my life. Let me give you a couple and then we'll go to the text. About seven years ago, 
My wife and I found out we were expecting our second child. And we were extremely happy that our son would have a little brother or a sister. And we already had a name picked out if it was going to be a little girl. We told our son, you're going to have a sister or a brother. And he was extremely excited about that. Well, but it turned out the pregnancy didn't go well. The baby was in the wrong place. And through an emergency surgery, pregnancy had to be terminated. But in the midst of that pain, the Lord strengthened our hope in God. Seven years later, in August of 2020, my wife woke up in the wee hours of the morning in deep pain. And we had to rush her to the hospital. As we found out, she was 12 weeks pregnant and we didn't know it. She was also bleeding internally, bleeding to death. The doctors told us, you're pregnant. And before we knew the specific diagnosis, I began to do as I always do. I thought, how am I going to pay for this kid's college education? <laughs> and I thought I'll be 60 when my child is 20. But it'll work. The Lord can do it. But within the hour, the doctors come back in. They tell my wife and me the reason why you're in pain it's because the baby is in your tube and your tube is ruptured. She had to have two blood transfusions to live. And our baby, whom we know now was a boy, he died. And with tears in my eyes and grief in my heart, my wife held my hand as poised as Michael Jordan in the final moments of a basketball game. And she said, honey, hope in God. Brothers and sisters, we as the people of God have hope in pain. Amen? Two truths this morning. Number one, the people of God suffer in this life we will suffer. We are suffering in this life. Number two, the people of God have hope in God. First truth, the people of God will suffer in this life, in this broken world. If you notice in verse 1, in verse 2, the psalm says, As the deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, on the, on the surface of these verses, you might not see the suffering that the psalmist experiences. As we see in a moment, the reason why he is longing for God and the people of God are longing for God, panting for God, like a deer that is panting for water, is because the psalmist and the people of God, they're distant from God. They're distant from the house of God, distant from the people of God, distant from their land, 
suffering the oppression of their enemies. And the psalmist's prayer, his cry, is a cry of lament because he is aching for God, longing for God to bring about his salvation, longing for God to restore him and his people. And he's crying out in despair. And you see this despair further elaborated as you read the rest of the psalm. Notice verse 3. It says, My tears, verse 3, have been my food day and night. You notice that beautiful poetic language? What does he mean? He means he cries a lot. <laughs> he means he is suffering and his tears, notice how the next part of the verse, he personifies his grief. And his tears, what do they say to him? They say, verse 3, where is your God? Have you ever felt that way, brothers and sisters? Live long enough and you will. That you can't even eat because you're so despondent. When you stop putting, start putting babies in the ground, you're going to feel this. When life doesn't turn out the way you think it should, you're going to feel this. And the psalmist feels it. He says his tears are his food day and night. And his tears, personification, right? His tears say, where's your God? If your God is real, why are you in grief? Notice further, in verse 4, the psalmist's grief is aggravated in verse 4. He begins to think about the good old days, verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul within me, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. And I would go with, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. You see what he's doing? He's thinking about the good old days. There's nothing wrong with that. Oh, how I think back to when my son and I could go and watch those dreadful Cardinals play. I'm a UK fan. Those dreadful Cardinals play at the Yum Center. He's a U of L fan. And we would enjoy that together as father and son. And so to me, it's so sad that that part of his life this year, we cannot enjoy the way we did last year before the pandemic. Well, the psalmist thinks about that time in his life when he led the people of God to the house of God. You think about this, how I long for this place to be filled again with bodies, praising God together when this pandemic is over. Well, the psalmist feels that. And he's aching in his bones for the Lord to do something to return to that moment. Well, notice further. You see, he says in verse 7, he describes his suffering like a wave of despair personifies it again in verse 7. He says, Deep calls to deep at the roars of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And if that were not bad enough, notice verse 9. He's hit rock bottom. Verse 9, the psalmist feels like God has forgotten him. Verse 9, I'll say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? I love this verse. The psalmist is not like I am. He doesn't fake it. 
He tells God how he's feeling. Why have you forgotten me? And by the way, God can handle that. Can he not? Can he not? Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? Verse 10, he talks about the enemies a little bit more. And he says, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? So we get a taste here, don't we, in verse 10, that the reason why he suffers is because of his enemies. You got some enemies? <laughs> And I'm not just talking about the devil. He is an enemy. And death is an enemy. And the devil has agents who operate in this world. And those enemies will come after you and attack you. And the psalmist feels that. He's suffering because of God's sovereign design through these wicked enemies to bring about his suffering. I promise you, brothers and sisters, this sermon is not going to be depressing. There's hope coming in a moment, but let's sit here for a moment, all right? The cross precedes the resurrection. There's pain, then there's joy, right? Brothers and sisters, we as God's people, we will suffer in this life. We don't pursue suffering. No, that's Nonsense, but it will happen. So are you suffering this morning? Be encouraged if you are, because suffering is part of the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of joy in pain. Paul says, we are sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Second, Application, your suffering as a Christian, and hear this carefully, does not mean that your God has forsaken you. The Bible is clear. Yes, sometimes our suffering comes because of our sin, but sometimes it doesn't. Just look at Job. And God uses, he uses our suffering as a means by which to work out his will. It doesn't mean he delights in our pain. He rejoices in our pain. It doesn't mean that. It means he can use it, and he's not forsaking you if you're suffering today. He didn't forsake me in that hospital room when I found out my second baby would die. He didn't leave us when my wife had to have two blood transfusions to live. He was right there in that room when that blood was being infused into her body. He was right there with me in that room Two years ago when my auntie's life expired. He was right there with me when I stood behind her ashes and preached the gospel to my lost family members. Your suffering doesn't mean he's left you. Y'all feel me this morning? He would never leave you or forsake you. Third, our God is 100% sovereign over and in control of our suffering. Every trial we, we experience in this life must flow through God's loving and kind hand before it touches us. 
Now, I want to say this very carefully here. I don't have time to talk about the mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. I don't have time for that today. But know this, I'm not saying that when people cause us pain, that we can blame God. I'm not saying that. When people cause us pain, they sin, God is good. And God uses even their sin as a means by which to work out his will. That's what I'm saying. You understand that? And God is always just and righteous and perfect and holy. He is, there's no evil in him. And when you're tempted by God to sin, James says, you can never say you're tempted by God. And when those insurrectionists invaded the Capitol last week, Jesus had nothing to do with that, folks. My point is that God is sovereign. He's not a God who is weak. So even in the midst of our suffering, Understand that He is a sovereign God. Therefore, you throw yourself upon His mercy. You seek refuge in God. Don't turn to alcohol. Don't turn to drugs. Turn to God. Now, I'm not speaking here as a professional clinician. I think you get my point. I'm saying, for example, you shouldn't be out smoking a dime bag because you're suffering. You understand what I'm saying? Well, you don't know, maybe you don't know what a dime bag is. Maybe you think, how do you know what a dime bag is? Don't worry about that. <laughs> and if your sin is the reason why you suffer, you repent today. You bring it to light today. And experience the hope that only God can give you. Fourth application. Brothers and sisters, when we suffer, we need to be there for one another. We need to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Some of y'all, I don't understand. You've been coming to this church for years and you still haven't joined. I don't understand that. You're still not in a community group. I don't understand that. And I'm not trying to guilt trip you today. But what I'm trying to say to you is, if you want to be strengthened in your hope in God in the midst of pain, you need the people of God to help you. And if you're not a member of this church, you need to sign up for a membership immediately, a membership class. If you are a member or not a member, and you're not a part of a community group, you need to join one immediately. You need the people of God. You cannot hope in God by yourself. You cannot. Yes, there's personal responsibility. Yes, there's personal piety. I've been up since 2 a.m. this morning seeking God's face for this sermon. But I can't rely upon my own independent walk with the Lord apart from the people of God to help me have hope in Him. So if you want to be strengthened in your hope and pain, you need the people of God. You don't need a podcast. You don't need a podcast. You need the people of God. Second point. Number one, the people of God, we suffer in this life. It's a normal Christian experience. 
Number two, the people of God have hope in God even as we suffer in this broken world. In pain, the psalmist exhorts himself to hope in God. He does it twice in verse 5 and verse 11. And I love these verses. Verse 5, listen to the psalm. He says, why are you downcast, verse 5, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. And he does it again in verse 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. Well, as I've said, hope in the Bible does not mean maybe things will work out or maybe things will not. We use the word hope like this. I hope I get married. I hope I don't lose my job. I hope I don't get COVID. I hope these people stop slandering me. I hope my wife don't, doesn't die. My husband doesn't die. I, I hope we can pay our bills. I hope I can restore my marriage. But when we use the word hope that way, there's a sense of uncertainty there, isn't there? That's not how hope is used in the Bible. It is certainty. There's a conversation to be had about the relationship between faith and hope. Again, I don't have time to have that conversation. But my point here is, is that hope is fixed in Jesus Christ. It is certain. It is confident expectation that God will do what he's promised to do for his people in Christ. In the Old Testament, that means that the people of God had confident trust that God would do for Israel and through Israel exactly what he promised to do through Abraham and for the world. And the people of God in the Old Testament showed they had hope in God by faithfully, not perfectly, but by faithfully following the Lord. In the New Testament, hope in God is trust that God has certainly accomplished and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, all of his saving promises for his people. And we show as Christians that we have hope in God by following Jesus faithfully until someone puts us in the ground. We persevere faithfully in our faith until the end. That manifests that we have hope. In Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11, you could also think about hope like this. You can think about it as waiting for God. Are you waiting for God to work? If you are, you have hope. So the psalmist in verse 5 and in verse 11, he preaches to himself in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of pain, to hope in God. But why? Why does he hope in God? Y'all still with me? Why does he hope in God? It makes no sense, really. In exile, distant from the people of God, suffering because of his 
enemies. He feels like God has forgotten him. Why does he hope in God? Why does he tell himself to hope in God? Well, I think the answer is because he believes God is the God of his salvation. That's why. God is his Savior. Notice, for example, in verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. Why? He's my salvation. He's my deliverer. You know what that means for the psalmist? You're going to get my enemies on my behalf. You're going to liberate us from suffering. Because you are my Savior. He says something similar to this in verse 8 when he talks about the Lord's steadfast love. The Lord's steadfast love is another way of talking about the Lord's saving mercy. When this word pops up in the psalm, steadfast love is often connected to God's saving mercy. Let me give you a few examples. I'm almost finished. A few examples. Psalm 31, verse 21. Just let these hit you. Psalm 31, verse 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me. When I was in a besieged city, Psalm 57, verse 3, God will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Psalm 59, verse 10, my God in his steadfast love, he will meet me. God will let me look in triumph over my enemies. Psalm 98, verse 3, he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Do you believe that this morning? I guess not. Do you believe that this morning? In the midst of a pandemic? In the midst of insurrection, do you believe that? Psalm 103, verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Psalm 106, verses 1 and following. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Finally, Psalm 107, verses 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. So Psalm 42, verses 5 and verse 11, the psalmist preaches to himself to hope in God because he knows God is his Savior. And that's what God does, brothers and sisters. He is in the salvation business. Amen? 
That's why 2 Samuel 22 verse 3 says, My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, you save me from violence. Now, I've got five applications, but I'm just going to give you one. Preach this truth to yourselves every day. The psalmist preaches to his soul. Hope in God. If you're struggling with the love of God today, you don't think God loves you, preach to yourselves. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Preach to yourselves. For God demonstrated his own love toward us like this. While we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. Preach to yourselves. If you're feeling condemned today, preach to yourselves. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed you from the law of sin and of death. Do you preach to yourselves the gospel? Where do you turn when you suffer? You turn to money or sex or drugs or alcohol or entertainment. If you're married, sex is a good thing. Notice I said, if you're married, sex is a good thing. Entertainment is not inherently bad. My question is, where do you turn? In whom do you hope? You should turn to God and preach to yourselves God's word. And when I say preach to yourselves, folks, I don't mean preach long sermons. As one preacher said, your sermon might just be three words. So hope in God. Can you do that? You find yourself feeling hopeless. Receive the invitation to place your hope in God and preach to yourselves the promises of God realized in Jesus Christ. And watch the Lord use that and the people of God and the preaching of the word as means by which he begins to develop in you a deeper hope in God. Doesn't mean this is a magical pill, but it does mean a means by which your hope in pain can be, strength, be strengthened is by reminding yourselves of the truths of God's Word and praying those truths for your lives and singing those truths with the people of God. If you're not a Christian this morning, you have no hope. And you need to turn away from your sin if you're not a Christian today. And give your life to Jesus Christ so that you can begin to understand what it means to have a certain hope that is not based upon the political climate or the steadfastness of our political leaders, but it's based upon what God has done for His people in Jesus. So brothers and sisters, we have hope in God through Christ as we suffer, 
uncertainties. Therefore, hope in God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us hope in God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Each Lord's Day at Midtown, when we're gathered corporately, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this meal is about hope. The hope of the resurrection, the hope that we can have our sins forgiven because of Jesus' death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead. If you're not a believer this morning, this meal is not, it is not for you. It's not for you. But you can turn from your sins right now and you can give your lives to Jesus Christ. Repent. Place your faith in him. And believe by faith that God raised him from the dead after he died for your sins and you can have the gift of eternal life. And then we can talk with you then what that would mean later for you to participate in this meal. If you are a Christian who's walking faithfully with the Lord, this is for you. But if you are a Christian who's holding on to unrepentant sin, now, of course, we're all sinners, right? We're all sinners. But if you're living in rebellion against Jesus, holding on to unrepentant sin, refusing to let it go, you can let it go right now. You can repent. Promise to make that right with the Lord and with others, and then partake. But if you refuse to repent, don't partake. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, shared the meal with his disciples, and he broke some bread, said, this bread represents my broken body to be broken for you. Take and eat. the same manner he shared some wine with his disciples. And he said, this wine represents the blood of the new covenant, which I will shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.